today we are wrapping up a series about faith. It's part five of a part, five-part series on faith. And it takes, it takes faith. As great as that song is, it takes faith to really believe that song. Let's go right into the, the next slide, Dory. Um, it, it takes faith to believe these things. It takes faith to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. That takes faith. It takes faith to believe he died on the cross for our sins. It takes faith to believe that he rose again on the third day. And it takes faith to place our trust in him as Savior and Lord. And to believe that if we do that, we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith. You can, you can, it takes faith, doesn't it? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, it takes faith. It takes faith. But here's something else I want to, I want to challenge for those of you who... Who, um, who might not think this way, it takes faith. We, we fully admit it takes faith to believe that as, as believers. But it also takes faith. For, for those who have the mindset, it takes faith to believe that Jesus was just a great teacher and nothing more. That takes a lot of faith too. To believe that as, as some people have uh, teach and as some people believe, it takes a lot of faith to believe that Jesus was just a, a great teacher. This is... Let's, let's work towards, towards that. Um, and I'd like to work towards it, but if you could take out your green sheet here, um, there's, a, there's a, something I'd encourage you to write down, and it's this. It doesn't take much faith to believe that Jesus was a great teacher. We're going to talk about things that take faith here in a moment, but here's one thing that doesn't take much faith. It doesn't take much faith to believe that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great teacher. And anyone who studies first century history, or anyone who studies history after the first century, Boy, to not come to that conclusion that Jesus was a great teacher, I don't know how you would, how you would form that, that, that conclusion. Almost everyone who studied history agrees Jesus was a great teacher. In fact, we're blessed to have some eyewitness accounts that have been handed down to us. If you're not familiar with the Bible, um, there's a, this, uh, what we're turning to right now is a book called Matthew. We call it Matthew in here. The reason it's called Matthew is because it comes from a real person named Matthew. They also refer to him as Levi in one of the other Gospels, but he was a real person. He was a first century person. He's a person that interacted with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He, he followed Jesus. This is a person who interact, really interacted with Jesus. And this is a, an account that's been passed down to us from him. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you to, to, to take one for free. We have a stack of them there in the back. We'd encourage you to have one. But if you do have one, please open with me. Let's take a look at what this eyewitness said about Jesus. Let's take a look at, at what he said, one of the things he said. And specifically what he said about Jesus' teaching. This comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. Say this. When Jesus finished teaching, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority. Not just as their scribes taught. So we've got a first-hand witness here who says Jesus wasn't just like another teacher. He was a great teacher. Jesus taught with authority. And through these eyewitness accounts of Matthew, through eyewitness account of John, this guy named John, through all kinds of other real first century documents, we see that Jesus was a great teacher. Some of the things that we glean from these documents are that Jesus, he knew when to spell things out. There were times where Jesus just very clearly, in no uncertain terms, said, this is the way it is, this is how things are. But there's other times, being a great teacher, he didn't spell things out. There's other times where Jesus, he would throw a question out there and he wouldn't answer it. Or they would bring a question and he would give them another question. Jesus knew when to answer people clearly, succinctly. Jesus knew when to get them 
thinking and wrestling with things. Jesus was a master teacher. Jesus used stories and illustrations that were so good that we're still talking about them today, that were so good that his illustrations have, they're transcultural, they're trans time, their transgeography. These illustrations that Jesus used were so well chosen that people get it, even in a different culture, even in a different area, even in a different time. It's kind of funny. I, today, I came across a little pink bead. Some of you were here when I gave an illustration, Mr. and Mrs. Mug, and we collided and beads went everywhere. We're still finding those beads, even today. That illustration is not going to go down in history as an illustration that will still have timeless whatever. Uh, but Jesus, his illustrations, we're still talking about them today. So Jesus, he was a remarkable teacher. He was a great teacher. And he was great not just because of his rhetorical proficiencies. Jesus was a great teacher because he actually changed the nature of education itself. Here's some things you may not know. This is fascinating stuff to me, especially as a person who, for a period in high school, was very skeptical of, 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 of the Christian faith. It, Jesus' world, the world that Jesus came into, it wasn't like our world when it came to education. It was a different situation. It was a world dominated by Greco-Roman perspective. And in the Greco-Roman perspective at that time, in that place, the people who would receive a formal education were wealthy males. So if you were a wealthy male, it was expected that you could receive an education. If you weren't a wealthy male, and you weren't one of their wealthy males, you couldn't expect to get an education. Jesus stepped into that world, and Jesus affirmed the inherent dignity of the poor and the marginalized. In a world that didn't do that, Jesus stepped in. He said, they are worthy, they have the same value that you have, and he would teach them. He would teach them, the poor and the marginalized. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Jesus told his followers, don't just teach those who will benefit you. Don't just teach the people of your nationality or your country. He said, take this good news, take this teaching and, and teach the world. Take this to the world, to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And it was Jesus who welcomed women. We've spent more time on this at other, other messages. It was Jesus who, when a woman sat at his feet, he affirmed that. And to sit at the feet of a rabbi was to sit in the, in the place of a male disciple. And Jesus affirmed her. So Jesus did this. And then following in his master's footprints, that Jesus' followers began to teach Others, rich and poor, young and old, Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free. They went out. These fathers of Jesus went out and started teaching these folks. Here's a great quote from a guy named John Ortberg. I'm going to have a number of his quotes today. It comes from a book of his called Who Is This Man? Fantastic little book. I'd encourage you to, to consider getting that. Here's, here's what he writes. He says, Jesus, as he summarizes this idea, Jesus never wrote a book. Yet his call to love God with all one's mind would lead to a community with such reverence for learning that when the classical world was destroyed in what are sometimes called the dark ages, that little community would preserve what was left of its learning. 
virtually the entire Western system of education and scholarship would arise because of his followers. All right. Now, this is a preacher saying that. Preachers are known to exaggerate. Some preachers. All those other preachers. Known to exaggerate. That's a big claim. Look what he's saying. He's saying virtually the entire Western system of education and scholarship would arise because of his followers. Is he overstating this? All right, we'll let you decide. Let's take a look at some of the, the facts here. Um, so how many of you heard of a little uh, institution of learning called Oxford University? Known to be... a reputable institution of learning. Do you know what their motto is? Oxford's motto. It comes from Psalm 27.1. Here's what it is. This is the Oxford University motto. The Lord is my light. That's Oxford's motto. And on our side of the Atlantic, there's another little institution that we looked at earlier in the series. Uh, within six years, get this, within six years of landing in Massachusetts, in this wilderness, the Puritans established what has become an iconic institution of learning right here in the States. This is from their student handbook. This is from the student handbook of this iconic institution. It says this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore, to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That handbook wasn't from Bethel University, wasn't from Northwestern College, wasn't from North Central, wasn't from a Christian school that we look at that way today. Where was this from? Whose handbook did this come from? Harvard! This is from a Harvard handbook. That's the roots of Harvard. Unbelievable. Uh, let's con continue on. Here's another quote by, by John Borg. He says this, All but one school started before the American Revolution was begun to serve the Jesus movement. 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities founded in America were begun for followers of this uneducated, itinerant, never-wrote-a-book carpenter. Jesus, did Jesus have an impact on education? He had an impact on education. Is Jesus a great teacher? He is a great teacher. Let's continue to pile on here. In America, the first law, this one made me laugh. Um, in America, the first law to require mass universal education was declared in Massachusetts in 1647. And this act, which basically is Sounds a lot like public education to me for the masses. This act was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Deluder is not a word we use much anymore. I had to look that one up. It means to fool or deceive. There were believers in Massachusetts, 1647, who were so convinced that it was so important that people were educated, that they passed this act. They passed this, this, this mandate so that those kids growing up in that area could be educated, so they could learn, they could study the scriptures, so that they wouldn't be easily deceived by Satan. Wow. Wow. Well, way before this, in Germany, reformers like Martin Luther promoted literacy so that people could read the Holy Scriptures for themselves in their language. In Great Britain, 
There was a generation of working class children who were transformed by a Jesus follower named Robert. In Robert's day, these, these kids had to work. You think, you guys got it tough. These kids had to work six days a week in factories and, 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 and in places. Uh, so, so here are these kids, children, working six days a week. They can't go to school. So there was this Jesus follower who said, that's not right. And this Jesus follower said, well, they have Sundays off. I'm going to create something called Sunday school, where on Sundays these kids can come, they can learn to read, they can learn to write, and they can learn about Jesus. And within 50 years of this one guy stepping up to start this Sunday school, 1.5 million children were being taught by 160,000 volunteer teachers who shared his vision to help kids learn to read and write as they learned about Jesus. Did Jesus have an impact on education? Is Jesus a great teacher? Absolutely. It doesn't take any faith to believe that, especially when you think about the worldwide nature of this. In Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, in South America, in nation after nation, in acts of remarkable sacrifice, Christian missionaries are often the first people to ever develop an alphabet, the first people to develop a written language, the first people to establish schools. It's often Christians who are doing this. Wow. It doesn't take much faith to believe Jesus was a great teacher. He taught with great authority, but he also inspired an unprecedented education movement throughout the world. So that doesn't take faith. It does not take faith to believe Jesus was a great teacher. That's just the way it is. That's just fact. Jesus was a great teacher. We see his influence all around us. Here's what does take a lot of faith. Here's what does take a lot of faith. And I'd encourage you to write this down. It requires a giant leap of faith to believe Jesus wasn't more than a great teacher. It doesn't take any faith at all to believe he was a great teacher. That's just obvious. It takes a leap of faith to believe he wasn't more than a great teacher. The movement that Jesus founded 2,000 years ago, it forever changed the world. A small band of Jesus' followers rose out of hundreds of religious groups. And despite intense persecution from the most powerful military the world had ever seen, Christianity went viral in the midst of the persecution. So much so that you've got the most powerful army in the world trying to stamp out Christianity. Christianity without an army, armed only with the what they believe was the indwelling presence of this God-man Jesus, they flipped this thing. And within a few hundred years, the Romans are aligning themselves with the Jesus movement. So much so that most people who consider themselves Roman check the I'm a Christian box. Wow. It takes a lot of faith to believe that just came from the teaching of one man. And it didn't stop with Rome. Consider this quote. Most religions remain centered in their original homes. But with the Jesus movement, things are different. It began in Jerusalem, but was embraced by others with such zeal, it began to move across the ancient Mediterranean to North Africa and Alexandria and Rome. Then others took it to heart, and it began to expand to Northern Europe and eventually to North America. In the past century, it has dramatically shifted again. The majority of Christians now live in the global South and East. This thing is spreading throughout the world. Throughout the world. Was Jesus a great teacher? Yes. Was, does his teaching continue to spread around the world? Yes. But here's the thing. The reason it's spreading is not just because it's good teaching. 
the reason it's spreading is because we as Christians believe this to be true, as crazy as it sounds. We believe we can actually bring people to Jesus. You see the distinction here? As Christians, we don't just believe we can pass along the teachings of, of a dead person. As Christians, we actually believe we can bring people to Jesus. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. As I told the 9 o'clock hour, this is probably the worst of my illustrations. But we got to have one, right? So uh, how many of you have heard of uh, Swedish fish before? Swedish fish? All right. Any Swedish fish fans here? Okay. Swedish, all right. Let me tell you about the Swedish fish. Now, if, if, if we were just going to teach about Swedish fish, if we were just going to teach about Swedish fish, we could say they come in a yellow plastic wrap. We could say things like there are five servings per container and there's 150 calories per serving, and we could, we could do ingredients, and we could describe them. If we were just passing along teaching about Swedish fish, I would stand here with my Swedish fish, and I would just tell you about them. But here's the crazy thing Christians believe. We believe that we can do more than just pass along the teachings. We believe we can invite people to experience it. So if you like Swedish fish and would like to come up and take one, you would help me out because you'd make this object lesson a little more real. Just come on up and you can have a Swedish fish. Would you help pass these out? Thank you. There we go. Mary's got some. Hey, Emma. Would you help pass them out too? Emma's got some. Amber, do you help pass them out? Ah, you guys like Swedish fish? Yeah, come on up. It's great to see the mixture here. Good. You're helping my illustration. It needs all the help it can get. There we go. Oh, oh wait, wait. Here. Did you guys get one? Did you get one? You, you take one. You can take one of the one of the sweeties. You can take one. There you go. Oh, oh, just. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. You got one? All right. Everybody got one that wanted one? All right. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about, about this. Do you see the distinction here? Do you see the distinction between just teaching about and actually inviting people to experience? And what does the scripture say? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. We, we, we go beyond just in telling what Jesus told, as important as that is. It is so important for us to pass along the teachings of Jesus. But beyond that, Christians have this crazy idea. Christians today have this crazy idea that we can actually bring people to Jesus and they can have an encounter with him. Where did Christians today get that crazy, crazy idea? We, we got it from the people that knew Jesus and encountered him. Jesus, when he was alive, he said things like this. Jesus said things like this. Jesus said, he said, your sins are forgiven. In the culture that Jesus said your sins are forgiven, it was a Jewish culture. And that's the kind of thing that could get you in trouble. We have little ears in here, right? This is, this is the kind of thing that could get you in really big trouble. Because the Jew, in the Jewish mindset, there is one God. There is one God alone, and only he can forgive sins. And here is this teacher saying, 
can forgive your sins. And he doesn't stop there. Look at this. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to God. He's quoted by these people that were there saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He said that among folks who would really not like to hear that. So, so why did Jesus even survive? Especially when he did this. Look at these other things. We have first-hand accounts of Jesus accepting worship. Jesus accepted worship according to the holy scriptures that they had at the time. Who was the only one who would receive worship? God. We have, we have, we have instances of angels appearing, these, these powerful, amazing beings. Angels appear, and people don't know what to do, and they start to worship the angels. Do the angels say, oh yeah, bring it? No, the angels say, no, 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 don't worship me. You worship God alone. And when disciples of Jesus did miraculous works in Jesus' name, and some people saw that and they wanted to worship those people, what did those disciples of Jesus say? They said, no, no, no. You worship who? God alone. When Jesus received worship, did he say, no, 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 don't worship me? Jesus received worship. Now, think about your own reference point here. If you had a teacher, no matter how good of a teacher they were, if they started saying things like, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. I'd call them a lot of things, but great would not be one of those things. And, and if I had a teacher who wanted me to worship them, or I watched as people worship them and they didn't correct that, I'd call them a lot of things. Great would, would not be one of them. But yet, Jesus' disciples called him great. Jesus' disciples believed this about him. Why? Here, here's a little insight into why. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Mark chapter 6. Here in Mark's account, we have Jesus, again, his, his authority and his teaching is being affirmed, but look what else is added here. In addition to his authority as a, as a teacher being affirmed, we see uh, something else. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 2, uh, says this, And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom that is given to him? And then look what he says. How are such mighty works done by his hands? And one of the things that we read in the account of Jesus, accounts of Jesus is the people testify and said, Jesus did things that people just don't do. There was a time Jesus healed the blind man, and, and they literally said, who, who does this? Nobody does this. Jesus performed these miraculous signs to validate these big claims. And the greatest of which is Jesus rising from the dead. Validating that these claims he made were true. Was Jesus more than a great teacher? Here's how one person put it. I love this quote. It says, There's no cathedrals in honor of Socrates or as those of us who grew up in the 80s know him as Socrates, right? Bill and Ted, Socrates. There are no cathedrals in, honors of so in honor of Socrates. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't worship a great teacher. You don't worship a great teacher. You, you maybe respect their teaching. You don't worship them. Christians, we don't just follow the teachings of Jesus. We follow Jesus. We believe he's not dead. We believe he's alive. And he's present. And he's coming again. And that his spirit can dwell in us now. And it can transform our minds and transform 
our hearts. Now, if you are a, a historic history buff, I want to show you something that I find fascinating. This is out of a, a, a book that is now in our Bible called 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Let's take a look at this. And right away, some of you are going to recognize why this is significant. Significant. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 says this. The signs of a true apostle were performed, say it with me, among you. Let me try that again. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, here's why this is so significant. Liberal and conservative scholars don't agree on much. Don't agree on much, even when it comes to the Bible. One of the things liberal and conservative scholars agree on is that this is a real book written by a real person to real people in the city of Corinth. There's very little disagreement about that. And there's very little disagreement that this real person was a first century man named Paul. That he was real, that he wrote these words. He wrote them in around AD 55 or 56, and he wrote them to real people living in a real city called Corinth. There's very little disagreement about that. Think about the implications. Because this real person writing to real people in a real city, and most scholars agree, these are his real words. He says, remember those miraculous, wondrous signs that were done in your midst, that you saw. Paul isn't saying, yeah, so when I was over in Ephesus, you should have seen me. I killed, man. It was, it was, I was miracles. The power of God was flowing. Oh, you should have been there. Is that what Paul's saying? He's saying, remember when I was with you and remember what you saw. You saw signs. You saw wonders. That's significant testimony right there. Because if he didn't do signs and wonders, they could have said, what? You didn't do signs. You didn't do wonders. The implication is profound. The implication is these believers in Jesus who did these miraculous, wondrous things that we, if the Spirit of Christ is in us, we too can do miraculous, wondrous things in His power. Wow. Wow. Was Jesus a great teacher? Yep. Was Jesus something much more Yep. Now, when it comes to these miraculous signs, one of the things that drives me crazy about God, but he's God and he knows what he's doing, is that we can't do it on demand. You know, how much fun would that be? You know what? Watch me levitate to the, in Jesus' name. You know, here, we'll convince all you skeptics. He doesn't let us do that. He doesn't let us do the miraculous on demand. He decides when it's right and when it's not can drive you nuts, but God knows what he's doing. And we refer it at different times as to possibly why he does that. We don't have special spells. We don't have special rituals. We don't have special words that guarantee the results we want when we want them. But how many of you, with a show of hands, how many of you have seen things firsthand, not secondhand, how many of you have seen firsthand God do things that were miraculous in nature? Keep your hands up. Look, look around. Look at that. Look, how, look at the percentage. Consider the same thing happened in the first hour, too. Do you see the number of believers who are testifying to these same things 
that the first century believers were testifying to. That this Jesus was more than a teacher. We are passing along more than his words. We can actually experience his presence among us, his spirit within us, and God can still work not only in us, but also through us. And if your weirdo meter is going off right now, because you're like, I just came here for a workout. I took a wrong turn. I was afraid to get out because, you know, I don't know what was going to happen. And you're just thinking, this is strange. This is strange. This is so bizarre. These people think this guy is real, and it's more than just warm fuzzies and all this. I'm glad you stuck around, because what I want to encourage you to do is examine the facts. Examine the facts. Examine the first century testimony. Start there. What does it say? And, and what was interesting, we looked at this last week. Here, here are some of the things that are confirmed not by Christians. In fact, some of the people confirming these things that we find in the Bible are people who are hostile to Christianity. They had every, re every reason to say, none of this is true. None of this is true. They wanted to squash the movement. They could have said this is not true. These are things that were confirmed in the ancient documents, the ancient witnesses besides the Bible. Things like this, that Jesus lived when the Bible said he lived, that he was a real person. He lived a virtuous life. Even his enemies said this, was, this guy lived a virtuous life. And it says he was a wonder worker. They admit that freely. This guy was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. And then the miraculous stuff. Darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. His disciples didn't think he was just a teacher. They were willing to die for their belief. Christianity spread as rapidly as far as Rome. And look at number 11. His disciples denied Roman gods. And they thought Jesus was a great teacher. Is that what it says? No. They what? They worshipped him as God. This is people outside of the Jesus movement saying the Jesus movement didn't think Jesus was a great teacher. Yeah, he had great teachings. They thought he was God. Those people were convinced he was more than a great teacher. They were convinced Jesus was God. So... If this is the evidence we have, none of us were there. None of us were there. If the evidence we have from the people that were there are saying these things, why, why do people say it's not true? Why do we reject the evidence that Jesus was more than a great teacher? There's more than this, but let me quickly give you three reasons. The ones that, in my experience, have been the ones that are the most common. Here are the three reasons why I believe or at least why most people say, I don't believe that the Bible is true on this. I don't believe those witnesses, and I don't believe these other witnesses, you know, these documents. I don't believe them. Here are the three reasons. The first one is this, because someone said it's not true. In fact, that's probably the number one. When I talk to people, they say, why don't you believe this? They say, well, I had this class. I had this world religions class. Really? What did that teacher say? They said, well, everyone knows that, that that's not how it happened. Here's how it happened. And then they'll give an explanation. They'll say, well, Jesus, no, he, he died. He just died, and he was thrown into a garbage dump, you know? And they made this stuff up later. Or, 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 or some other explanation. They offer a different history. Many of you have heard these things. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Have you ever asked, what's your source for that? You're making a big claim here, and we've got all of these different sources, eyewitness testimony, collaboration outside of the Christian movement. We have all of these people who said, Jesus was more than that. They thought he was God, because that's the other thing. People will say, no, history knows Jesus at the time. He was just looked at as kind of an insignificant figure. It wasn't until Paul came along and blew him up into this you know, big God. 
Okay, really, what's your evidence for that? I, I'm not aware of any first century evidence that overturns what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said. And so if you want to make something up in your head, at least be honest about that. If you want to say, here's what I think happened, at least be honest and say, here's what I think. Because I don't know of any evidence that's out there that collaborates these alternative histories. So that's one reason why some people don't believe that the Bible is, is true on this. They say, because someone else told them it's not. Okay? You're, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? To believe someone's opinion when they don't have the evidence, that's a lot of faith. All right, the next two I want to group together because I think they, they kind of fit together. So the first one, why don't some people believe the Bible is true? Well, they don't believe it's true because somebody said it's not. That sounded really smart. But here's the other two. Some people say this can't be true because supernatural events aren't possible. And there's a lot of folks that believe that. It can't be true. People don't rise from the dead. So it can't be true. Or number three, they fear the implications. And a lot of times this is a subconscious one. One of the reasons why a lot of people don't believe it's true because they don't want to believe it's true. Because they think if it is true, and he is the son of God, then that has implications for my life. And he might say, don't do things that I want to do. And he might say, do things that I don't want to do. The reason I group these two together is because don't they come down to pride? You might not categorize it as it, but let's be honest. Don't both of those objections come down to pride? Doesn't that objection about, well, I've never seen a miracle, so I don't believe it. Doesn't that come down to pride? I don't know how you function in life if you say the only things I'm going to believe are things I've actually done myself and experienced myself. That if you've never been to China, it doesn't exist. If you've never eaten a Krispy Kreme donut, it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So th there's a pride thing there to say, well, the reason I don't believe is because I've never seen someone rise from the dead. Okay? That's a pride thing. And then the other one, that's a pride thing too. You fear the implications. And the pride that comes in there is you're saying, I know how to live my life better than anyone else. Okay? That's a dangerous way to live your life, to not receive correction from others and to not be open to the fact that other people might know you better than you know yourself. Biggest mistakes in my life are when I don't listen to people who speak into it and say, don't do this or do try this. So I think it's, it's pride that keeps so many people away from the truth. And here's the reason why that is so important to identify it as pride. Because pride is one of the few things that can keep you out of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Pride is one of the few things that can keep you out of the kingdom of God. Your mistakes can't keep you out of the kingdom of God. Because I make so many of them. And, and people in this room, we have made huge ones, haven't we? How many of you have made huge mistakes? All right? Even, let's, let's be real honest here. How many of you have made huge moral mistakes? Things that you said, I did, this was wrong. Okay. That can't keep you out of the kingdom of God. No matter how bad that mistake was, it can't keep you out of the kingdom of God if you are willing to come to God and say, I'm sorry, and really mean it. It can't keep you out of the kingdom of God. Falling short can't keep you out of the kingdom of God. God's perfect standard. How many of you have ever met God's perfect standard? Hands. 
None of us have. And what's so beautiful is that can't keep you either. All have fallen short of the glory of God, it says. But for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, we're in Christ. And in God's eyes, it's as if we've never sinned. And God can bring us to places we could never get on our own. So your mistakes can't keep you from the kingdom of God. Uh, falling short can't keep you from the kingdom of God. Your race can't keep you from the kingdom of God. Your gender, your age, your IQ, the color of your hair, the number of tattoos on your body, where you've pierced, the car you drive, if you cheer for the Packers, if, if you prefer Diet Pepsi over Diet Coke, none of that, none of that can keep you from the kingdom of God. If you're willing to humble yourself and come to him and say, you are the king of kings and I'm not, you are more than a teacher. If you're willing to do that, none of that can keep you from the kingdom of God. Pride can. Pride can. For you to reject and say, this is not true, can keep you from the kingdom of God. For you to say, Jesus was just a teacher, can keep you from the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis writes, and I'm not going to unpack this, so soak it in. I'm not going to unpack it. I'm just going to put it out there and let it hang. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. So here's what I'd like to do as we close our service. I'd like to have the worship band come forward. And we're going to give you an opportunity to take a step of faith. A step of faith that says, I believe Jesus is more than a teacher. And you might not know what all that means. If that's you, that's all of us. Because every time you think you have Jesus figured out, he does something crazy, something that you don't understand. He, 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 he is God. So you don't have to have Jesus fully figured out, but, but if you're willing to say today, I'm going to put my trust that Jesus is more than just a teacher. That these claims of the Bible, I'm willing to say, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith and embrace them as truth. And if you're willing to say, I'm going to leave my pride there in the chair, and I'm willing to come you know, in front of all these folks and Step up and say, okay, I'm going to acknowledge Jesus more, a teacher, more than a teacher and that his way is right. If you're willing to do that, what we're going to do in a moment here is, is we'll invite you to come forward for communion. Normally we have ushers, and there's a lot of reasons we do that, but sometimes we say no ushers today. And today is one of those no usher days. What we'd rather have you do today is first what we'll do is we'll, we'll together pray some prayers to prepare our hearts and minds. And then we'll have the communion servers come up, and then they're just going to stand there. And then if you would like to make a conscious decision, not because an usher said, now it's your time, but because you said, okay. If you'd like to come forward and, and, and say, all right, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus as more than a teacher. Because you don't do this for Socrates. You don't do this for Plato. You don't do this for any dead Greek guy. Right? But what we're going to do is say we're doing this for Jesus. And we're going to commemorate that he was a real person, that he died on a cross, and somehow his death was the death that I deserved. And somehow, if I put my faith in that, then my penalty was paid. And, and if I say in that context, I'm sorry and I'm sincere, my sins are forgiven. And then this presence of God, the Spirit of God can come with me and cleanse, come into me and cleanse me and begin to guide me and change my heart and change my mind and fill me with a strength that I never had before. That's what this time is. So you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a member of any church. And if, if this is a little bit confusing, I wrote some things on the back of your, your worship folder. You can take a look at that. But that's what we're going to do today. We'll have the 
community service come up, we'll serve them, and then we'd encourage you to take a step forward in faith. Well, one of the things I mentioned we were going to do first, though, is let's, let's pray some prayers together. Um, one of the reasons we do this is not because these are magic prayers, but because there's something about hearing people around you proclaim these same things, that they're as messed up as you are, and that we all stand in need of asking for God's forgiveness and for him to prepare our hearts and minds. So let's do that right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive. But say the word, and we will be made clean. Let me pray for Father. We pray now that you take this time and make it holy. Everything you touch is made clean. Everything you touch is made holy, so touch us now. Touch these elements, the bread and this juice, and make it for us, your body and your blood. And, and touch our hearts and soften them, that we may be open, that our will may be open to, to yielding to you. And open our minds, Father. Undo so much of the, the junk that's in there from some really bad teaching. In fact, Lord, I... I pause to pray. We pause to pray right now for teachers who are, are, are saying things that just aren't true. And we know what your word says, that it's better to have a millstone thrown around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to mislead folks and steer them away from you. So, Lord, we pray for them, that you'll reach them, that they may teach truth and help us to be people of truth as well. So, Father, we, we pray now that you take this time make it holy. And as one last act of solidarity, we pray a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Jill. Well, next week we'll be starting a brand new series, and it, it picks up really where we leave off today, because the next series is about how do you hear God's voice? If God is alive and he speaks to people, how do you know when it's God speaking and it's not something else? That's where we're going to start going the next couple weeks. So I hope you can join us for that. I hope you can join us next week. After this service, we'll be down where? Right down there at the pavilion, so bring some bars or other desserts and uh, come ready to play and have fun. If you've never worn shorts before to church, you are officially blessed and, and whatever to have this experience for the first time. You don't have to wear shorts, no dress code, uh, but, uh, but, but join us. Um, also, before you leave today, if you could help me, these are so addicting, these little Swedish fish. Have you ever tried to eat just one? like right now. So we have a couple bags of them left up here. Please don't make me take those home or I'm going to be, I'll be much bigger next time you see me. Okay. So let me pray for us and then come and please take a bag of Swedish fish while supplies last. Father, thank you. Um, thank you that you desire to engage us. We, 
this is too amazing for us to fully comprehend. But Lord, help us to experience more and more of it where you are speaking to us and you're working in us and through us so that what you began with your coming will be continued as we await your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Seek and serve the Lord.